Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to this episode of the Full Press Raiders podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Biggs. Well, we're a few days out from the Raiders' overtime defeat versus the Chargers. To break it all down and to kind of give us a objective view, he is one of the best follows on Twitter, our guy Ryan Holmes. Ryan, good evening. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm all right. Now, we needed to talk about, first of all, the car injury. He has a groin injury, and if you read certain articles, he's quote-unquote pissed that he's trying to get back into the game. At this point in the season, is it even worth it? I would say no. At this point, I'd let him heal, heal the groin up. We know what we have in Derek Carr going into 2021, and I'd like to kind of see what Gruden can do with the offense with with Marcus Mariota for, for two games, be able to game plan, uh, put some clay, plays in specifically designed for his strengths. Uh, the game plan when he went in the game last week was pretty basic. A lot of half-field reads, a lot of zone reads, um, but you didn't really see him going through a lot of progression. So I, I think for the longevity of the team now that the playoffs are, are very bleak, um, and depending on the outcome here of the Browns-Giants game, it's it's going to be down to less than 1%. So I'd like to see what, what could happen with Mariota under center. And you heard Josh Jacobs talking about it, that teams have to play them honestly in the run game when Mariota's in a quarterback. There is, I mean, for me personally, there was a bit of excitement when I saw Mariota in the game and started making plays, that that nice throw for the touchdown. It There was an energy that I hadn't felt around this team in the longest minute. It was, it was new. It, you felt like... You were seeing something that you hadn't seen. What did you see when Mariota first stepped on the field? 
when he first came in, you kind of saw, I, I thought he was a, I was thinking he was going to be nervous just based on, you know, the reports of how he's been in practice and, and kind of training camp was kind of up and down. But he came in, he, he showed poise, he was calm, he executed the offense, he, he read the defenses. Um, and he made, once he made that throw to Waller for the 35-yard touchdown on the go route, he kind of settled in. And on the zone reads, he was pretty good the whole game. I don't know how much the Raiders have practiced a lot of those plays, but he pulled it when he was supposed to pull it. He kept it when he was supposed to, to keep it. You know, he had the one play there late where he threw the interception. Um, it looked just like a timing issue between him and the wide receivers, which is to be expected. He probably hasn't had any first-team reps in a, in a long time. But, uh, no, it was a good energy. You saw, you know, the offensive line started getting into the running game uh, once they knew that Mariota was in there and the receivers are winning some routes. And he threw some good balls. My, my favorite throw was the one he threw the wheel route to Waller there late in the fourth quarter that got them close with about two and a half minutes left. But he made some good throws and, and just some tight windows too. When you see him and when you see Derek Carr, Derek Carr actually timed everything and he shows flashes. is a very good athlete at quarterback. Mariota, it's just different. What do you think the major difference is, not so much athletically, but mentally and emotionally, as far as Mariota's willingness to keep and go with the ball? The main difference you're going to get between the two is Mariota's going to make plays out of structure. He's going to scramble. Um, He saw some receivers working back. Once he got outside the pocket, he stayed with some guys down the field. And he can also tuck it and run. The guy runs, you know, a four or five low four fours and he looks healthy and he showed you speed what you're not going to get with him is you know i don't know if he's going to recognize the front get you into the right running plays um be able to make the audibles and checks in the system that Carr can do just because he hasn't been in the system this is his first year and he missed a lot of time Carr mentally has the advantage of the line of scrimmage trying to get into the right play against certain coverages but he's not going to make those plays out of structure uh as much as Carr's gotten out and he's run this year. Um, it, there's a huge difference. You can tell right away that Mario's a, a better athlete with, with better wheels, and the defense has to respect that zone read. And he kept a couple, and he, he almost ran for 100 yards in that game. I would have liked to see a little bit more creativity in the red zone when they got down there with him uh, and got him out on the edge and maybe gave him you know a little more spread look rather than going heavy. And the Raiders were down with wide receivers. I think one of the plays – was in 14 personnel, which I hadn't seen all year. They had four tight ends and one running back in on one of those goal-to-go situations. It was actually a passing play. So it's like none of those guys are getting open other than Waller. So it, it kind of went against them. But I think you can do a lot more creative stuff with Mariota. And even if Carr does come back and play the last game of the season, I don't expect him to play against the Dolphins without practice time. I would still like to see some packages with Mariota on the field in certain situations. I noticed there was just, like you said, there was a more of an engagement from the offensive line as far as run blocking. And the, I don't know, it just seemed that the blocks seemed a little crisper. But speaking of the running game, when we come back from break, I kind of want to talk about Josh Jacobs and the flashes he's shown, but it feels like it's a down year. That after break. You're listening to the Full Preservators podcast on the FPC Radio Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back with the Full Press Raiders podcast. Terrence Figs, Ryan Holmes, Ryan, Josh Jacobs. It just, when I look at his numbers, and it just seems like after that hot start, just doesn't seem like there's a it just doesn't feel like it was his normal burst even though he did he did flash a few where he made the first type the first would be tackler miss but what are we missing the biggest thing i see on tape is last year he was the quickest running back in the nfl to the hole like he would get the ball and just go and it was he would make the read, one cut and gone. And you're seeing a lot recently in the last three or four weeks of, you know, some shuffling, stuttering his feet in the backfield, kind of waiting and picking and choosing for a hole. And the holes are getting closed up quick. And then there's a couple of holes he's just flat out missed uh, in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's, it's a vision thing. Vision is one of his strengths. Um, it could be a lingering injuries in the lower half. He's missed time with ankle, knee, and hip injuries. But it's the decisiveness to just attack the hole and trust that's going to be there. And I think there's a trust issue right now with him in the offensive line that, you know, the holes haven't been there. And now he's kind of waiting and, and kind of just trying to read and shuffle his feet rather than just attacking downhill. And that's something that, you know, he next year I think will be fine. He showed plenty of that last year. And like I said, it, it could be more just to a trust issue. And then with some lower body injuries this year, they're kind of just nagging him. Now, a year ago, if you look at his numbers and how they break down, after 13 games, he has carried the ball three more times, but he's also caught the ball 13 more times. So he has pretty much 16 more touches, and the yardage is not there. He's down over a yard per attempt. How much of it, if you look at, say, the first three weeks, he was used excessively by John Gruden just in the first four weeks and over, over the last three those numbers well except for the 26 carries which is a lot for a back to only gain 76 yards how, how much of that failure in the red zone of the Raiders to capitalize with him is fatigue or just hitting some sort of wall I think most of it, you have to, the offensive line has been injured most of the year. So you can't, it's hard to compare the numbers. You don't have Trent Brown for 11 or 12 games that you had last year. You don't have Incognito in there. So you have some backups and sometimes third stringers on the line. Um, a lot of it too is teams have started to stack the box the last few weeks too, starting with basically the Atlanta game. And they haven't been playing deep safeties over the top of rugs. And, and with rugs not in the lineup last week, you didn't see a lot of that. So they're, they're seeing a lot of eight and nine guys in the box. They're trying to be physical and run into that. Uh, the holes aren't there. And like I said, the decisiveness just hasn't been there the last few weeks. I, I don't think a lot of it has to do with fatigue. He's 22 years old. 
um, had a fresh body coming out of college. The play calling in the red zone could be a little bit better. And it's hard, you know, just trying to run inside zone, inside zone, and then and trying to pass on third down. Yeah, I'd like to see a lot more play action on first or second down when, when teams are second to run. And the other thing that, that's kind of catching up is the predictability of the play calls. The Raiders run on first and ten, the third or fourth most in the league. The teams know what they're trying to do, and they're trying to take that away. So it, it, you would, we'd like to see them be a little bit more aggressive with some play action on first and 10 to try to make big plays down the field, but they just haven't done that. They've tried to go to their bread and butter and just establish the running game. And as teams have loaded the box, they've continued to try it and just hasn't been successful. You mentioned the play calling. I want to, you know, talk about the play calling the red zone where once again, the Raiders settled for a red zone field goal. And that's this. All this has to fall on John Gruden's shoulders. It it really does. Where in this game, there was no Greg Olson to be the scapegoat for because he was out because he's on the COVID list. What happened to John Gruden during this this second tenure where the aggressiveness just isn't there, or was there never really aggressiveness? Where it was more of a a media creation. That's going to be more of the media creation. He's always been the guy that's wanted to, to run the ball. I know he comes from a West Coast background, but it's really running the ball. And his first thing, he had Tyrone Wheatley to do that for him. Now he has Josh Jacobs to do it for him. But they have to be able to run the ball in the red zone. And like I said, they just haven't been able to do that. That's the biggest reason why they're failing. And then he's getting into obvious third and goal you know, from the seven or eight. And then you're seeing a lot of pass plays called short of the goal line. You're seeing the play Carr got hurt on was a design play to Jason Witten. Um, they shouldn't be designing any plays for Jason Wynn. He should always be the third or fourth option down there. They need to get the ball to Waller. Uh, and if he and Brian Edwards needs to see the field is the, is the big physical receiver on the outside, and, and he's just not not in there. And teams know what they can focus on. And the play with Mariota in overtime, you know, is run up the middle, run up the middle, third and goal, and they're calling Spider Two Wide Banana. They're going to throw the ball in the flat to the fullback, who even if he catches it, is going to be four yards short of the end zone anyway. So. It, a lot of it, they, they're not designing plays into the end zone. You're not seeing the fade routes that Carr likes to throw when he had Crabtree. You're not seeing any of that to Waller. I, I don't remember the last time they threw a fade route to Waller. You're not seeing that with Edwards. And giving guys a chance one-on-one, and it's more because they can't run the ball, and they're not really trying to mix in play action, and then they're just trying to throw you know quick routes on third down. That's where it's all coming from. Just, there's no creativity in the red zone. And they can move the ball up and down the field. Um, but you're just not seeing that. And maybe Mariota allows them to do that. They can get him out on the edge, so a little bit more zone read. Um, maybe some plays where you boot him to the right, throw back to the left, you know, something to get guys out and moving around. But And you also notice the receivers, when, when Carr breaks the huddle and tries to run towards the sideline, they're not really working back to him either. And he gives up on a lot of those plays too. But it's interesting. That's That's the biggest reason the last two years that they've – in my opinion, other than the defense, is the red zone kicking field goals. That this is a team that has to score touchdowns based on the the lack of defense that they're playing. You mentioned Brian Edwards, and before we get to that, I want to talk about John Gruden as a play caller. Just in general, do you think he's now at the point of his career where he should assume more of a CEO coach role, where he has that? the decisions as far as to go for it, to go like he, he knows what's happening, but do you think it's time to bring in actually a experienced or for lack of a term, 
innovative play caller to kind of freshen things up? I think what he needs to do is bring in a young quarterback coach, someone that, you know, from the college ranks or someone that he can groom to eventually, you know, work under him, but just give him some fresh ideas. I don't think John Gruden's ever going to give up the play calling. That's why you hired him. That's why you brought him back. It's his baby. It's his offense. But someone young that can get in there, because they don't have a quarterback coach on staff, so they can bring a guy in to learn under him, work for the quarterback, but to be to help him with those decisions in the red zone, just bring some new concepts in and help this offense take that next step because they go up and down the field. They average, you know, the yards, but between the twenties, they're fine. They're one of the better offenses in the league. It's just bogging down. And you, we've seen it the last few weeks when they get to the five yard line, that's it. They basically are stuck in the mud and they can't get it in. I know a lot of people had a problem with kicking the field going overtime. I'm not, I think they should have taken the lead there because if you give the ball back to the, to the chargers on the five yard line, they just need a field goal. It's not like they have to go all the way down the field and score a touchdown to win the game. I'm more concerned with the defensive lapses and coverage uh, than I am that that field goal. But uh, there's been a lot of times this season in the last five or six weeks where they should have been more aggressive and they haven't been. You you mentioned a quarterbacks coach. Now, during Carr's first year in, in Oakland, they had John D. Filippo. John Filippo is now the current quarterbacks coach of the Bears. Do you think that would be a a match for them? It could be potentially if Matt Nagy gets let go and he's on the market. He has some familiarity with Carr, but, but so does Greg Olson. I'd like to go outside of that family and find someone um, younger that can be groomed that, that comes from the college ranks. It, the quarterbacks coach doesn't need to be a high-ranking guy with a ton of experience, just someone that needs to come in and – and give ideas and just be another sounding board for Gruden to work with a, a young guy that can match his energy and be in the office at four or five o'clock in the morning and grind tape with him. But, and like I said, someone else, if, if this thing does turn around, that can be groomed to, to eventually call the players or take over for, for Greg Olson. Um, Greg Olson doesn't call the plays. There's Raiders fans that think he does because he's the offensive coordinator. He doesn't. He's just a guy there that's a, that's a sounding board, but it, it's someone that's also there probably to be a buffer between Carr and Gruden um, that has, cars back in some of these if there is some some arguments like gannon and, and gruden used to have but uh Filippo could be an option i would i would go another route i don't have any names or anything but that's someone that i i would probably stay away from at this point that makes sense now you had also touched on brian edwards <sighs> when you look at the 2020 draft and yes it is still very early i just gotta ask one simple question why even draft Brian Edwards if he's not going to see the field? You have J- you have Zay Jones, you have Nelson Aguilar, like absorbing touches. You you mentioned how a big physical receiver like Edwards would thrive in the red zone. He's taking up a spot and he should be playing. What is it? Something that is a trust issue, or something that Gruden doesn't like, or Gruden likes to go at familiarity. Gruden mentioned that, that Edwards was on the COVID list, which was news to me. I hadn't seen that reported. He said he missed some practice time. Um, we're at the point now where his injury happened in week three, and he missed, I think, three or four games. So he's been on the practice field for the last two months. So the fact he missed a, a practice or a walkthrough on a, on a short week shouldn't have mattered. He should have started over Jones. It, maybe it's just more of a trust thing because Jones practiced and he's a veteran, but in no way, shape, or form should Zay Jones be taking snaps away from Brian Edwards at this point in the year with the season on the line. And the same could be said for, for Witten. Witten 
Witten and Jones combined played double the snaps of Moreau and Edwards, and I just don't see how or why that makes sense, especially when Ruggs isn't available. I mean, Edwards showed enough to win the starting spot in training camp over these guys. I know he got injured. He missed three or four weeks, but he's been back for you know six, seven weeks. He should have started that game and played a large number of snaps, and he just didn't. And I, I don't know what it is other than he's a rookie, and Gruden said he missed a walk, basically. And to Moreau's point, when he has played, he has flashed. He's shown the ability to be a good complimentary tie-in to Darren Waller, but something about willing out Jason Witten over and over, and like you said earlier, diagramming plays and drawing, you know, making Witten the focus, that's just Jason Witten, 39 years old. He's not getting any better. He doesn't need any more snaps. It just seems like Gruden is now stuck in the rut, and because he's armed with such a long contract, and he pretty much has the ultimate authority on this team, there's no one here to tell him no. No, no, that's that's accurate. And there's plays where you see Witten lined up. You know, he's split out wide. He's the only guy on the backside of a play, and he gets down to the line, and it takes him five seconds to get ten yards downfield. I mean, it's there's no speed, no explosion. If the defense doesn't even have to worry about him, and he's most likely just running a five or ten yard in cutting route or just a ball in the flat. Like there, there is no route tree with Jason Wynn at this point. And at this point, based on my film study, he's not even an adequate blocker. So I don't even understand why he's on the field. And Gruden's mind, like to use a baseball type of parallel, I'm a Mets fan. It's like watching Mike Piazza in Oakland as playing in Oakland or watching Mike Piazza play for his base or watching Todd Hundley play the outfield. It's just weird. At this point in time, it just it shouldn't be. And Gruden is literally hampering the development of Foster Moreau because Jason Witten is a star or a former star. If we switch over to the defense, did you see Rod Marinelli change anything profoundly or is it more of it is what it is until the end of the season? There were two noticeable changes uh, from the film study. First, um, the defensive ends lined up more in a seven technique, so they were lined up outside the offensive tackles. So they actually set the edge fairly well and funneled the ball carriers back inside. You didn't see them getting beat to the outside much at all. I thought NASA did a very good job setting the edge, and they did that without Farrell. So when Farrell comes back this week, it should be better. So you didn't see those defensive ends crashing inside of the B-gap and having the, the corners be the edge or force players. So that was a huge adjustment, um, which shows me that all those slants and all those, you know, crashing the defensive ends and crashing the uh, the defensive tackles was more a Paul Gunther than a Rod Marinelli thing. And you saw the, the, they did stop the run a little bit better. I thought Raquan McMillan actually had a very good game um, for the snaps he had in run stops. I think he had five run stops and forced a fumble and 28 snaps. And you could see he has value stopping the run. He's not very good in coverage, but he probably should have been used a little bit more this year based on what they gave up to acquire him. And the second thing you noticed was Marinelli wasn't afraid to bring run blitzes on first down. He was trying to get the other team into second and third and long. And they did a couple of times where they just they had the right calls and they made stops. And you saw McMillan get in the backfield. You saw Kwiatkowski get in the backfield. Joyner got in the backfield off the edge once. Um, the only problem was, and the pass rush was a little bit better. They generated 
I want to say 25 or 26 pressures. They didn't have the sack totals, but the only issue you had on the back end was you're basically playing with a bunch of, I don't, I don't know how to say this nicely, but special teamers. You had Keyshawn Nixon playing a majority of snaps. You had Dallin Levitt playing. You had Eric Harris playing. Um, and Mullen probably had his worst game in two years. So the back end coverage did not hold up at all. I thought the front seven played much better than we've seen them play at any point this season. I look at the secondary and a couple of questions. Where was a meet a meet Robertson? He, I mean, he. I don't think he was. I don't think he's on the list. Why isn't he? He did not play snaps? one snap. That's a great question. Um, Gruden tried, and I had the same question about Isaiah Johnson. I thought he'd see a lot of snaps at, at safety. Gruden mentioned that Johnson got hurt on special teams and didn't play, but then the one snap, he only played one snap, but that snap that he played, I want to say was late in the second quarter or even in the third quarter. So I don't know when the injury occurred, but he could have been on the field for at least half the game, and, and they chose not to use him. Um, the fact that they used a fourth rounder on Johnson and Gruden called him the steal of the draft, and then now he can't get on the field over a bunch of undrafted guys. And Robertson, who was a fourth rounder, who they traded up to get, still can't get on the field over Keyshawn Nixon. Um, I don't understand that. I, I thought this was the week we were going to see, because of all the injuries, Joyner move back to safety. Uh, Robertson gets some snaps in the slot because it, they, he, those two guys have to play. We have to know what they are going into the offseason. We know what Dallin Levitt is. We know what Keyshawn Nixon is. Um, those are special teams players that, that shouldn't be playing very many snaps on defense at all. And when they are, you see the results. Um, the defense overall, I thought, didn't play terribly, but there was just too many lapses in coverage on the back end because you just didn't have the talent back there. And, and Marinelli tried everything on third down. There was cover one. There was cover one robber. There were cover six, cover three, slot blitzes. He mixed it up, half man, half zone. So he, he tried to do a lot of different things on third down, and none of it worked just because the coverage just couldn't hold up. They just didn't have any talent back there. And, and when Mullen's not on, then uh, you can see what can happen. They were basically running. Daryl Worley was signed off the streets and is playing a majority of the snaps. And those two didn't even – and on the telecast, they said cover two on both of those plays in the first half. Those are both basically cover six coverages, but it was cover, cover two to the boundary to where those two were playing. And they messed it up both times and gave up a free touchdown with 19 seconds left. But um, we'll, we'll see what the secondary looks like this week, if they can hopefully get Abram. Nolan gets back to normal, um, get our net out there, and, and maybe the coverage is a little bit better because I was encouraged by what the front seven did. And to build more off the special teamers, a guy like Keyshawn Nixon played extensive snaps and was roasted all night, just roasted. And you have a guy on, this, on the uh, practice squad who's a safety linebacker hybrid, a guy named Javen White, who could have played some safety. I'm They've seen enough of Eric Harris. They've seen him. It's, it's, it's time to, to stop. He had one good game against the Colts last year. People were touting his Pro Bowl merit. It's time to not. It's, it's, it's time. With two games left, like you said, if the Browns win, chance of the season's over. It's time to see what your Amit Robertsons can do. It's time to see what these young players can do. And just I don't see the fact that, Gruden is in any rush to do this. And one of the things that we talked about last week was the potential for a 
new defensive coordinator going into next year. And we mentioned Wade Phillips. We we discussed what the three four would look like. Maybe a guy like Dan Quinn, or do you think that Dan Quinn would be a good fit? I don't. I mean, if he's going to run the Seattle, which is basically a cover three team, you cannot run a cover three unless you have an elite free safety with range because he's basically covering a ton of field in the, in, in the middle, and he's got to help those corners on the outside. And the Raiders don't have that player on their roster right now, and those players are hard to find. Um, you can do it when you have Earl Thomas, and but you've seen it in Atlanta, their defenses have not been good. Uh, their best safety is more of a Ken O'Neill, who's more of a, a John Abram type. So I, I would stay away from, from anyone with ties to Seattle, and we tried that once with Ken Norton Jr., um, I would, I'm actually leaning more towards the three, four aggressive attacking style defense that can put some pressure on offenses because the NFL is about creating turnovers and negative yards. It's a lot easier to disguise your coverages and blitzes in a three, four than it is in a four, three. In a four, three, you have to have guys that can win one-on-one matchups. This team doesn't have those guys right now. So, um, I'm actually leaning more. I'm in the Vic Fangio boat. If for some reason Denver moves on from Fangio, that, that's kind of who, who I would like to go after. Uh, a guy that, has a reputation of top 10 defenses in this league in multiple different stops. I'm a bit older. You're not worried about him leaving for another head coaching job. The, the one thing you don't want to see is them to go out and hire this young, hotshot defensive coordinator, have a year or two of success, and he's gone, and you got to rebuild over again. So I'm more in the veteran coach who's probably not going to get another head coaching job that can come in and run the defense um, that can be paired with Gruden for the next four or five years rather than the young upstart guy. I know Belichick's son has been mentioned a little bit. I don't see any way that, and I want to say his name's Steven. I could be completely wrong, but I don't see him leaving New England to come run the defense in Las Vegas. I can't see that. Somebody also mentioned Matt, Matt Patricia, and I no, no, just no. no. Uh, Detroit hasn't had a good defense at any point in his tenure, so I'm going to exactly. say no on that one. And as far as Steve Belichick, he says Steve Belichick's not not leaving Foxborough, and I agree with your point of a veteran guy who might be looking to coordinate his way to a ring and then kind of go off in the sunset and retire after four or five years. I'm good with that. Young guys, because they want to be head coaches. And as much as there's an issue with John Gruden, he is not going anywhere. He's not, he's going to stay. People were saying, well, you know, um, Mark, uh, Mark Davis can buy him out. Mark Davis is not going to eat $50 million. No. The, the other thing I see, and, and this is one thing I don't understand, uh, I don't really accept mediocrity, and I see a lot of Raider fans romancing about Brinson Buckner and Derek Ansley, who are both great position coaches when they were there. Derek Ansley's running a defense at the University of Tennessee that's not good. Uh, I don't understand the love affair to bring him back and, and, and trust him to run an NFL-caliber defense. It's going to be low on talent. That's the other thing. This defense isn't going to have a ton of talent. See, I want a veteran guy that's been there, that's done it, um, that can scheme it up, and try to get these guys. But more important, you need a guy that's a teacher that can teach the rules of these different coverages because that's the one thing these guys are lacking. You don't see the Raiders defenders play with any situational awareness or down and distance, anything like that, or even understand the basic rules of how to play a cover six or a cover two in certain situations. So give me an older guy that's going to be around, that has a track record, that can work with a defense that's not going to be ultra-talented until they can add some more pieces, and just a guy that's going to be here. That's where I would go. I would even I would talk to Marvin Lewis. I would talk to, and Gus Bradley is another one. I'm not 
if if it needs to be great, but Gus Bradley doesn't blitz. I don't want a guy that's going to come in and just play a ton of coverage. He can get away with that with Ingram and Bosa, uh, but he's not going to have those guys. I agree. I want someone who can be a little aggressive and a little more at the point of they got to generate pressure. They need to generate pressure. You're going to be in a division where, if you're honest, you have one elite quarterback, one quarterback on the rise in Herbert, and if Denver drafts a quarterback again, you might have a rookie first-rounder up there too. You're going to need... Or Matt Stafford. Exactly. Matt Stafford ending up in Denver. And now Derek Carr is the fourth-best quarterback in the division. It's hard. People don't want... Side note, why don't people want to admit that? If they... Say if the Broncos do make the deal for Matt Stafford, why don't they want to admit that Derek Carr is he's the version that you see and this is how it's going to be where there's going to come a point where he, he there will be a inevitable decline. Why won't people want to see this? I think, again, it's the Raiders have been so bad for the last 20 years. They want to cling on to the fact that he's been arguably the best quarterback since Gannon left. Which, to me, the bar is really low. That doesn't really say anything. At the end of the day, it's been seven years. I think he's earned the right to come back for an eighth. But beyond that, at some point, he's got to get this team to the playoffs. And I hear all the talk, and, and we talked about this a little bit off air, all the talk about he needs a defense, he needs a defense. Absolutely, he needs a defense. But with the cap going down and the contracts they currently have, the only way to improve the defense is, one, they have to hit on the picks from the draft. But two, they're going to have to take resources away from the offensive line. And we've seen that Derek Carr, when he doesn't have elite protection, is not a guy that's going to create plays out of structure. He's not going to scramble. He's not a threat with his legs. So if we're going to add to this defense, the offense is going to have to take a step back. And maybe that needs to happen. Um, but you're, the Derek Carr that we're seeing now is probably the best version that we're going to see. And if we have to take Gabe Jackson or even Trent Brown, in my opinion, I would, I would trade Jackson if I could. It's much harder to find a, a right tackle than it is a right guard. And Trent Brown's uh, cap number next year is only $14 million, so it's not it's not $21 million like it is this year. Gabe Jackson's going to be a little over nine and a half. So he can move on from Jackson and, and Denzel Good and John Simpson. If John Simpson shows anything, if you, those two should be enough to hold it down with, with Rodney Hudson, uh, Miller, and Brown. And then you have to take that money and put it on, on the defensive side. But then they have to find the right players for whatever scheme they're going to run. Um, they've signed a lot of guys and spent a lot of money on defense that just haven't been fits for the scheme that Paul Gunther had. So I would like to see whatever coordinator gets in there that he has a say in, in the players and he knows what he's looking for and that message gets conveyed to the scouting department and it gets con- con- conveyed to Mike Mayock. And they start drafting players that fit the scheme and what they need. And We'll see. Uh, my, I, I think Carr and Stafford are very similar, and they're right there. They're right next to each other. Carr's a little bit younger. Stafford's probably a better thrower of the football, naturally. Um, I think Justin Herbert, and we've seen this year, I know he's a rookie, but he's going to be really good. It's going to be him and Patrick Mahomes for the next two years. That's who they're competing with. And Derek Carr is 29, I want to mm-hmm. say. So he's getting up there. He's close to 30. Um, so his window is probably four or five more years. And I don't think Gruden takes this 10 years in and has Carr as quarterback for all 10 years. I just don't see that. And with Gruden comes Mayock, do you think, in hindsight, if you had to guess, do you think that Mike Mayock regrets taking this job? No, I don't, because I think 
a lot of these guys that are on TV, they're draft analysts, they want to be GMs, they want to make these decisions, they want to see that what they believe in and the boards they put together, if they can actually do it in, in a real organizational environment. Um, we'll see. I think Mayock has a couple more years left. He's going to have to hit uh, this year and next year. This might be the year, and I'm not against them maybe trading that first-round pick and going out and get an established defender that, that can play at a Pro Bowl level and just give you someone at one of the levels on this defense. Because right now at all three levels, they don't have difference makers. And they need one. And so you're going to, and drafting a guy and throwing another young player into this mix when you already have a bunch of first and second year guys, I don't know if that's the answer either. So um, they're either going to have to land a difference maker in free agency or they're going to have to trade for one. And with the draft and the lack of games being played at the collegiate level this year, it, it's going to be a crapshoot. There's no film. There's no study. They're basically just drafting guys off a of reputation or a very small sample size. So I'm not against trading that pick and going out, whether it's a lineman, an interior, an edge, edge lineman, a middle linebacker, a safety, a corner, I don't really care. Just give me someone at some level that's a difference maker. I'd be actually okay with them trading down from their first pick, like trading down with their first-round draft pick and accruing depth in the middle of the draft because this is one of the most thin defensive rosters I've seen in a long time. They don't have talent at the top. They damn sure don't have talent in the middle. They have nothing at the back end of any of this roster. Nothing. Just It's nothing there. It's guys that should not be playing snaps on defense. And when I look at it, there's a guy like a Justin Simmons who's out there. There's there's a guy, you know, th- that would help the defense a measure. But that would help Jonathan Abram immeasurably. And if they get, like you said, a coordinator who can actually have a voice of Mayock and say, hey, this is the scheme. I need this guy, this guy, this guy. Good, because part of me still, I know that he, you know, may, may not have had the greatest week, but somebody like a Max Crosby, I'm not sold on Max Crosby being a full-time defensive end. I think that Max should be a situational pass rusher now. He's, he just disappears against the run. It's just not getting better. No, I think, Justin Simmons will be my number one target in free agency. I don't know if the Broncos are going to let him go, but having tagged him last year, if they tagged him again this year, it's 120% of what he made, which I think was $11 million. So you're looking somewhere in the neighborhood of $13 million to bring him back, and they may do that, but um, he probably wants a long-term extension. I don't know if they're going to let him go within the division, but a, safe, a, a veteran safety is a priority, whether it's Marcus May, whether it's uh, Johnson from the Rams, who I believe is a free agent, whether that's Justin Simmons, someone has to come in and be able to play next to Abram. But more importantly, Abram probably needs to move in closer to the line of scrimmage on, on obvious passing downs where he can be a Jamal Adams type and be a pass rusher um, and then just work the flats and get him out of deep zone. So they probably need two safeties, one veteran, probably draft one. Um, I would actually like to see – I know Rashawn Galding got called up from the practice squad. He was a third-round pick two years ago by, I want to say, Carolina. Um, maybe give him some snaps. He's a physical guy with, with some speed, and just see what he can look like. He can't be any worse than Eric Harris. So, um, I know he's been on the practice squad, so give him some reps. Give Robertson some reps because you want to go into the offseason. You want to know what you have in those guys. The worst thing they can do is go into the offseason and – Robertson doesn't play, and they don't know what they have. They have no tape to evaluate. There was no training camp. There was or no preseason games. He's played maybe 20 snaps all season. So um, at this point, I, I look at the secondary. Obviously, Mullen's back. Abram's back. Um, Arnett's going to be back. Robertson's probably going to be back. Lawson, I would say no. 
Um, Harris, probably not. Jeff Heath, maybe just because he's got a $2 million cap hit. Levitt, probably not. So they're going to have to bring in probably two corners. You would, you would like some veteran guys because of all the youth they have. They just have too much youth, I think, on the defense right now. They need some veteran players um, that can go in there and, and know what the offense is trying to run against them. They, they literally have first and second year guys at every position, the second other than Harris. And as bad as it sounds, I know that they have spent or they have spent draft capital on edge rushers. If they have a second or third round pick, I know we have a piece coming out tomorrow that profiles Wake Forest edge rusher Carlos Basham Jr. Second round, third round guy. If he tests well, be a late first guy like that. They need depth, and he could possibly work in because he's about six five, two eighty. But he, he, to me, is a Cleveland Farrell with athleticism and with twitch and the ability to actually generate pass rush using multiple moves. And I know they have, like, if you talk to them and you read their quotes, they, you know, they seem like they're happy. This might be one of the worst pass rushes I've seen in a very long time. It is anemic to say that the, if you have to wheel out Arden Key, and, and you're paying Carl Nassib a ton of money, it's a problem. But before we get out of here, can you tell people where they can interact with you on Twitter and your videos and basic stuff like that? Okay, I'll throw one draft nugget to a guy that I really like that's kind of under the radar before I, before I get there. Um, I hope I get this right, but in the second round, I would target it's a defensive tackle from University of Washington. His name is Levi. On Uzarike, I yes. think I got that right. But um, get big athletic guy in the middle of the line. Um, he's explosive. He can get to the passer. He gets off blocks. He kind of reminds me of, of Chris Jones when Chris Jones was at Mississippi State. And I think Jones went in the third or fourth round. I want to say third round. Um, he definitely wasn't a first rounder, and I don't think he went in the second. But um, a guy like that, um, someone on the inside that can get to the quarterback who's athletic, uh, is an ideal three technique. I believe he's you know six four, probably two ninety, two ninety three, something like that. But and Basham's a good one too. He could probably play uh, the edge in a four three, or he could probably play a three four outside linebacker as well. He's a good enough athlete to do that. Um, but on Twitter, um, you can follow me. It's it's our home twenty two r h o l m twenty two weekly Raider breakdown. Uh, two games left. I hope this year to do some draft stuff as well. Um, haven't gotten there in the past just because I'm busy a lot this spring, but if I have time, I'm going to try to do some, some draft profiling stuff as well. He is one of the best in the business. Ryan Holmes, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Full Press Raiders podcast. They have two games left. Let's hope for something. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.